Welcome to the Evolution Sports Podcast. We're thrilled to bring on Jimmy McCormick of ESPN. Uh, he does fantasy basketball and football work there. And Jimmy, thanks for joining us. We're excited to talk Sixers with you tonight. Yeah, no problem, guys. I appreciate it. Awesome. So we want to have this be like an open roundtable discussion. We're pretty much going to start off with the process and when Hinky came in. So the analytical movement, really, you think about that in sports and different teams following that path. Hinky is pretty synonymous with that. So I guess has the process, how has it changed, you know, Sixers fans and the fan base moving forward? It seems like everyone is part of this almost like cult now of the process. I mean, yeah, I think it's there's you could argue that maybe it's the second biggest influence, not just. It's like possibly the second biggest influence league wide, really, meaning mentality wise, the way that franchises and even fan bases have been not conditioned. I mean, I've been on several like other, you know, other team like uh, what do you call it, like hardcore podcasts. And we've discussed like intensely about like the Suns or the Kings Mm -hmm. and they all appreciate the, the long view because they've been mired in the 90s lifestyle that we had. Like I grew up. So I, I was born in 80. I grew up, uh, you know, a Sixers fan. Like, my formative, like, really, really engaged years with the Sixers was, like, right when we traded Barkley. You know, right. And, like, right when I realized, like, holy shit. You know, like, like what a terrible – I remember hearing the news. I was like, this is before the internet. You couldn't even go anywhere to scream. It was like, Andrew Lang? <laughs> so I guess my point was is that, like, the process was this thing that kind of, I think, always percolated in our minds, this idea that, like, how could we ever do what the, the, what the magic did? Like, how could we ever kind of collect these high-end products? Because we had to swing at those guys. We did. We passed, We took this Sean Bradley guy. But my point being, like, for example, we had the back-to-back drafts of Stackhouse and Iverson, and they just didn't work. Or then even the, 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 the philosophical mistakes of Larry Hughes. My point being, there was just this long history of this franchise being wayward and shitty. And the irony is that, you know who the, the, the second-worst record besides the Sixers in the 90s? I mean, besides expansion teams, I'm not counting expansion teams, the Warriors. So what I'm saying is like the Warriors were a real shit dog team. And now they're this like empire, not that the Sixers will be the empire, but this, they hit goddamn home runs on their lottery picks. Hanky realized that's not repeatable. That's absolutely not repeatable. So I think I was in Ireland the night the process started, really. I was up on like, like look at this shitty Wi-Fi in the middle of the night. And when we traded Drew, when that dropped, that was like one of the original Woj bombs. When that dropped, even though if you think about it, the net the net gains on a lot of those moves that night, they didn't actually like, you know, no, Nerlens wasn't profitable, right? So my, I guess long story short, I think we were always prepared for the process. And I so I think Sixers fans, like now, like the hardcore were always prepared because we just like suffered so long. And the Doug Collins media, I think what happened, if you remember, Doug Collins poisoned us. He it's did, perfect. dude. Yo, he poisoned us. Like, that shit was so toxic. I think people forget that. Like, he quit that February. It just was terrible. So, I think what I mean is, Hinky was, he burned it so low. Like, in some ways, Doug Collins helped us because he was so bad at his job that Harris was like, holy shit, we can't do this again. Let's just give it to, like, the guy who's got the, the coolest, like, not the coolest spreadsheet, but, like, yes, like, the best kind of, like, the, he actually did a Shark Tank thing and allowed the most innovative idea to win. That's the one thing I'll ever give Harris credit for was that he gave him that little run. It wasn't long enough. I don't like Harris, but I know I took a lot of time here, but I just think that is the one saving grace of the Harris era is that he ever really even allowed that to happen. Because I don't think many owners would even do that. It would have to be a new venture capitalist dickhead who got the team for nothing. You're 100% right there. It's definitely not the popular NBA mentality. And as you mentioned, the Drew Holiday trade for Nerlens, that was like the start of the process. I remember thinking of that trade, wow, that's not something you usually see. Um, a borderline all-star point guard in his prime get traded for picks when you're in pre, the prime even right i mean yeah. like meaning he was like so valuable in theory like so and that team was in the playoffs even though they weren't really contenders with a gi and the whole it ends up being a bad use of that asset if you think about it and that's the, that's the irony of it meaning <laughs> yeah. like it's not that he misread the asset is that he was willing to turn he wanted more right yeah, yeah exactly so, Drew, were you always on board with the process, or did you ever waver with that? I think for me, the highlight of my Sixers was Allen Iverson stepping over Tyron Lue. Um, yeah. I remember all of that. I tell you where I was, everything there. That's when I was like, you know what, these Sixers, I can get on board with it. It wasn't really my thing. I think the process really started when, for me, I, I was late to the party. On when it was, I really understood what he was doing from an analytical standpoint of when Hinky broke down and said, hey, you have to have a start of win. If you don't have one, two, three stars, you got to win. Right, an anchor. That's right. the only way it works. We didn't have one, so he's like, hey, the best way to get a draft, the best way to get a draft pick is the top draft. So you got to be bad to win. 
Yeah, I completely agree. And I think one of the things that almost gets overlooked with it is that he wanted to zig when others zagged. You know, he always wanted to have the long view and maximize the chances at getting a star, even though we know that all past that are not probable. Like the opportunity of landing one in free agency is not likely at all, especially if you don't have the pieces that's what somebody want to come play with. Um, tanking doesn't always work. We see the Magic haven't tanked or anything, but they've been in the lottery every year and they're still in the lottery and they're not going anywhere. Right, even because, though. They're, because they're not tanking. Because exactly. the difference, because because you like you said, like Harris, it, it really does come down to ownership. Like Danny Larue, one of his best points is that ownership is the greatest differentiator off court in terms of teams, like in terms of how it can influence, you know, your outcomes. Meaning, like, what is your owner willing to do? Like Phoenix, in theory, has been tanking, but they're this incredibly over meddling guy in Sarver. Yep. So then the counter is really the value of having these high leverage picks. I guess my point being, Harris at least stayed out of the way long enough and. We didn't really hit that many picks, but just the ones that we did ha- happened to be like Jumbo, Jason Kidd, and Baby Olajuwon. So it worked out. Yeah, we hit those ones well, and that's key because if we didn't have those two, it would just be Nerlens and Okafor would be uh, the legacy. Yeah, for real. If you ever want to feel better, just go on to Basketball Reference and just Google like Basketball Reference player comparison. You can compare any pe- person's season at any age, like in history of basketball. Just go and take like a Kareem, like twenty three, age twenty four season, and a and a Joel, and just be like, what? And just, do one with Akeem too. And you're just like, wow. Like, the, of course, there's there's moments where one player is extremely better than the other, like in blocks or whatever. Mm-hmm. But still, it's just like you're in awe. I mean, and that's the idea. It's it's is that Hinky like 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 Andrew said, Hinky's idea was that, that it's the super high impact players because. Think about it. Like, like we have to change our mentality how we think about what a what a baseball superstar or what a football superstar means in the context. Like, even a quarterback doesn't have the influence over a game that LeBron James does. He exactly. just because he he doesn't control outcomes the way that that player does. Meaning, the the reason Michael Jordan was so great, obviously besides he was great, was just that his floor was so ridiculously high because he impacted the game. He he would not leave the game without impacting it in a way that influenced a positive outcome for his team. And it's like you can do you can't do that in football all the time. Like everybody else can be shitty around you, and it's still a net negative. I just don't think that's as possible in, in basketball. That's the idea of insulating yourself with stardom, right? And so multiple stars and stacking stars on stars. And I really do think the narrative changes now with Jimmy. And so just because I think he's a better player even than he aesthetically looks, because sometimes he doesn't look like wow, 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 he's a superstar. But the guy's just really clean at the end of the night, like. He's, he's one of those guys who can have 18 points but have an incredible net positive on the game. So I don't know. My point being, in some ways, the craziest way, Hinky still left us with, like, these riches. Like, there still are these gems because the most lasting gems really he, – he, he got us Simmons as well. That was a, a – I mean, let's be honest. The Ingram thing was a narrative created be, because people needed a narrative. Right. Yeah, he put us in position to get Simmons, which – Right. To land two – I mean, superstars, and it's just incredible to reach like, you know, players like Kendall that. Marshall, Kendall, like the most, like people are right about like Kendall Jenner. Kendall Je- Marshall was the OG Kendall, okay? That's the Kendall that got things started. He's the 10 win Kendall. This is the Kendall who might mess things up, but that's the Kendall who got to spend Simmons. Yeah. So it's from Kendall to Kendall. So I guess you mentioned getting Jimmy Butler, and we used guys that were parts of the process. Covington and TJ are thought of as a long term. Those were Hinky's guys when he gutted the roster and pretty much said, I want to maximize all 15 roster spots. I want to see Lakers. if I can yeah. exactly find diamonds in the rough. And I want 15 shots at it. I don't want 10 shots at it with, with five vets. I really want to take, you know, all these shots here. Did you have any, any sadness seeing Covington go as part of the process or is it really just, sure. we've got a third star. We're ready to go. You know? Well, you know, let's be honest, like to go back to the Collins thing, like, like when Hanky came in, he had to clean up a lot of the trash, like roster wise and just like on it, like even like um, and the responsibilities or the obligations the team had to draft picks, right, to, to the magic, the stuff he had given away. Yeah. Like he, and so I guess my point is, is now it's actually brand's responsibility in some ways to clean up the sins of Colangelo, meaning the top heaviness already of the roster, even before the, the, the like think about how. Alpha and beta are bench splits were, right? And they continue to be. Like, that yeah. continues to be the, the, the team's biggest issue is that the starting lineup has this incredible firepower, and then it's difficult to, to properly stagger them. Now, I think we're getting better with that. But my, I guess my point in the end is, yes, because it, it sucked to lose him because I just think there were so many other outcomes roster management-wise where you wouldn't have to give up that those assets to, you know. So that's the revisionist romantic part of it <laughs> because I wish we could have kept him and been able to acquire this player because – you want to be like really like uh, quantum leap and go back to draft night and just say to the Bulls, yo, instead of that seventh pick, 
and and all that stuff that that Minnesota's offering you. Here's the third pick for Jimmy Butler because that would have been nice. Because like I know he's crazy, but it would have been nice like to then I don't know maybe the next week trade Covington and something for Kyrie Irving. I'm dreaming, but I'm just trying to say like that's how bad he was at asset management, Colangelo. So I think what's happening now is that we're seeing a cleanup a cleanup phase. Because look how bad our bench is, dude, guys. I use I like advanced stats a lot because I think people don't get that all they're trying to do is just like actually tell us quickly what's happening, right? Mm-hmm. So like VORP and that stuff, it can be flawed, but mostly it's just like here, blah blah blah, this divided by this, good stuff divided by bad stuff times this, right? It's a rate stat that tells you how good you are. VORP tells you value of replacement. We have the worst bench in the league, and I'm not being uh, extreme. Like we literally have a worse bench than almost anybody. So we fall in love with these guys romantically, but we badly need help. But I think the Jimmy trade was an absolute must because if you really look at the 2019 summer. It's not going to be nearly as fluid or powerful for the Sixers as people may have thought, right? Like, it's not going to be as sweet as we thought. Like, I just think there'll be three teams trying to offer Chris Middleton $120 million. It's not going to feel that great. Yeah, and that's not really the guy I want to give that kind of money. Um, yeah, I think getting Jimmy was a must-do. A must do. Um, Losing Sarge and losing Covington hurt, especially Sarge. Covington. I think Sarge, the money that he would have been owed in a couple I agree. of years. Yeah, that I was worried about him. That would have been one of those ugly impasses, right? Like, it would have been like, uh, four years, 60 for, or even would have been more of that even really on the stretch market, like yeah, probably. Four, years, four years, 72 for him. And I like him. It just would have been a, a, a lock-in moment. And that's the, not to cut, like, isn't that where we are now as a team or where the team is rather is that it's, they're getting close to the landlock point. And what I mean by that is where all these separate islands become one continent. This is your team. This is it. Like you see the Washington does it. Milwaukee's just freed up money to do it. They're going to pay Middleton and, and Bledsoe. You kind of have to marry your roster in the NBA. I know we talk about risk analysis. Like what are you going to do the fifth? Oh, the fifth year of Jimmy Butler. Yeah, but what are you going to do? Like Nate Duncan put it best even not to keep like giving those guys props, those podcast guys. But the idea being you can't just look at the last two years and say, oh, man, you're getting killed in those last two years. The question is, what did you get in the first three years? We don't know what Joel Embiid's bandwidth of superstardom is. We know it's right now. So my, my, it's not to be dra- dramatic or desperate, but I do think it's not your traditional age 22 and age 24 superstar timeline because, Joel, you want to be a little bit more sensitive to making sure that you maximize it, I think. Like, Ben, I could sit here and say when he's 29, he could, be, he could be much better than he is right now. I'm not exactly sure that's the case with Embiid just because of how dominant physically he is right now. I'd love to maximize it, too. Like, I think Joel's the kind of guy, like the hot goalie theory, I think he's the kind of guy who could, like, Bill Walton you a, a championship. I do. Yeah, I think this get, in, really like, get in and get weird, you know, like not this year, but just get in and get weird kind of thing, you know? Yeah, I think two two things out here. Buyout market's going to be huge, just like last year. I think team players will want to come to Philly, not only because the team is in contention, but they can actually get minutes easily. We can, we can sort guys in very easily. I know that Korkmaz is getting a lot of run right now and Shamit, but I think those guys could be replaced by vets. Um, and then looking at the free agency next year, we should have some money available, especially, and that's why I want to move on from Fultz. Yeah. And figure out that $9 million. They, um, I, It almost seems like they, you know I mean? Almost it seems opportunity cost-wise. Because think about it. Isn't the tier of guys, like, think about it, Andrew, even, like, think about the tier of discussion you're talking about from that 18 to $21 million range that we're talking about to that 29. You know, like, now you're talking about a different player. Now you're talking about rooftop meetings in Los Angeles where you get innuendo about what fresh juices they had with Kevin Durant. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. Like, the good shit. Like, you, you, you hear about, like, Kawhi Leonard had brunch and he had Scrapple. You're like, what? You know, and I'm just kidding. But, like, you know what I mean? Like, like seriously, that's how you get those fourth-star meetings. Seriously. Yeah, for sure. I mean, getting that fourth person is going to be huge. And whoever that is, is going to set be here probably for a while and really set this team up going forward. It'll be a three plus one at the minimum, right? Like, meaning like the Sixers aren't going to sit there and do some two-year deal with somebody. The only, but then there's also this idea that like, it depends. I think, don't you all guys also think like maybe the, look, if you have to free up money for a max player and they really want to come in, it's a true max player. You do that no matter what. My point is outside of that extreme outcome, I don't hate the idea of, giving Thad Young like a one-year mid-level and then, you know, I'm just trying to say, and then giving like Marcus Morris, I'm just trying to say like, give it, bringing in like a Patrick Beverly, bringing in like an actual four or five person group of people, because I think we do have the three superstars. I don't think we've actually seen the superstars surrounded with the proper amount of role players to tell us even what the ceiling is. Like, meaning I think we talk about how it hurts your floor. I think it hurts your ceiling not to have like guys to go to. We saw why the, it has to be the right guys is my point. I'm not, those aren't even the names I'm talking about. Like it just has to be the right guys. My question is, do you give 28 million to Tobias Harris or do you break that up into like three or four kind of attempted profit players? Yeah, I think it's, if to kind of go with that is if you can take, almost on hinky model if you can take three or four swings to really right. like you said we have the worst bench in the league so that's got to get fixed 
it would be nice to be able me if you can floor up, but also uncap the ceiling of saying, hey, you know, we've got three or four more guys to work in the rotation, give you some options. So it's not all on Jimmy Butler, all on Embiid, all on Simmons, or kick out the JJ Reddick for three all day. You just want to give it some options. So you're going to spend a ton of money on one dude, hope it works. If it doesn't, like you said, we get landlocked and you get married to a roster. No, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. It's like, like, uh, at, <sighs> It almost is like, don't you wish guys wish we could just like DM Hinky and be like, what would you do? Like, what would you guys? What would you do? You know, like I really do. I really wish that like he had. I wish he had the opportunity to have done a lot of these things. Obviously, things would look so different right now, but I still just feel he wasn't given the opportunity to convert. And I think there's also this weird myth now because like with the Sashi thing in Cleveland, where it's like you can't let the nerds finish the job. They right. can only set. They can only set you up. It's like no, like the terror. The, even the, the 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 bullshit like revisionist will tell you. Well, Hickey was really good at tearing it down, but he couldn't build it. It's like, how do you know? He drafted Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons essentially. Like, he put them in position for two narrative shifting players. You know, like, and my main point about the Sixers anyway is that like, I'm almost more tempted to go the star route this summer to try to get that fourth guy than anything else, only because I don't think this team really peaks until Ben's like 24 or 25 anyway. And so, not to say that you shouldn't go after, like, but what I mean is, get yourself a Tobias Harris, get yourself somebody else. But once he Ben does hit that next level, because that's what they'd be waiting on, is for Ben to hit like another level. And I think he does have it. And I don't, I think people are wrong that it has to happen the way that they expect. It doesn't have to happen like he has this jumper and he's pulling it. It really is. He has to become this incredibly dominant, like Draymond is what he has to be. He's got to be an incredible high close passer. He's got to watch a lot of Marcus All tape, and he's got to do like just become much quicker with how he's making his decisions. He's too much point guard in the post. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's way. I'm just telling you, there's ways. If he could, dude, if that guy gets a jump hook, like a little like turn, like just, you know what it is. I think Ben Simmons has to get craft, and if he gets craft to his game, like more craft and more nuance, I'm telling you, I think he if he's scoring 20 points and eight and eight, and the defense he plays. This team can win a championship. I think. I think the, the Ben stuff has been really interesting this year. Like the the the, the backlash. I, th- I think it's really interesting, and I don't think people understand that there was gum in the engine with Fultz. Yeah, I think starting Fultz made sense for his development, but it did probably get Ben off to a bad start this year. Um, I do want to ask you guys both a question about Hinky. So we talked a lot about Hinky, you know, leaving and how it's changed ever since. We know that the NBA pushed the Colangelo's on the Sixers, but do you think? What do you think was the biggest reason besides owners getting mad? And, you know, not, I think a lot of other GMs didn't like that. Hey, this guy keeps making draft picks and he doesn't have any pressure to win. Now he's pushing it down the road and he's not actually gonna be evaluated on his job for a while. But I guess, what do you guys think were the main factors there that resulted in Hinky eventually resigning? Like, what could he have done better? Andrew, go for it. For me, you could, you said, I can't say that the other owners were pissed that, he was really I was making a mockery as he was. Man was playing 100% with the rules, doing what he needed to do. It was about getting assets, and if the asset that you had wasn't worth what you thought it was going to be and what you needed, moving it on for somebody else. Um, he was king of flipping second, third string quarterbacks for second or thirds when they had two or three good games. Same, to me, it's the same concept. That's all he was doing. So I really think it was other owners upset that here's a guy who came out and said, hey, we are going to be bad historically bad for a few years so we can make our run. I'll take two or three years of suffering up front so I can have, you know, hopefully two, three, four parades that I'm taking off work to come up there and having a great time. So for me, I think it was, I really think it was other owners were upset that he was playing the model and told them to their face and they just couldn't handle that. Hey, I don't want somebody else to do this because now we got two or three, four bad teams all tanking, trying to do that same purpose. Yeah, it was ownership for sure, but it was also, I think, like owners rather, like there was the owners collective, but I also think that that Silver himself was pretty uh, meddling. Like I think I think this is probably the biggest stain on his legacy. And like I actually think that um, Stein gets some bad flack for like say like for example the the Chris Paul trade. I don't think people really understand that he actually his job was to be the owner. Right. Like he, his job was to be the council of the owner in the way the CBA works. Like he wasn't his job at that night wasn't to be the commissioner. It was actually to represent the. And he said, "No, this trade isn't as good as they could do." And he was. Really conceptually right. And in any case, my point is, I think my point. Yeah, you're right. I think it was pressure from all sides is my point. And it was like an erosion kind of thing where like it wasn't like one conversation where they came up to him and was like an intervention with Harris. I think it was like over and over at these meetings. They were just like, you suck, you suck, you suck. This is ridiculous. And it also just it was it got to the point where it was 
completely kosher for other team executives to just talk shit about Philly. Yep. It wasn't even behind mm-hmm. doors anymore. This wasn't at, at the team, at, at the meetings in hotel rooms and lobbies in Florida. It was on ESPN. You know, like they were just saying, this is a mockery of the game. And I agree. And so my number one, and I would tell Sam this to his face, like if I could ever have the pleasure of talking to him would be, Meaning if we talked about the Sixers, it wouldn't be the first thing I say. <laughs> I'm saying it, it would be that would be that um, he missed the nuance of how to dress up a shitty roster. Yep. Like it's it's like the DJ Augustine theory. Like meaning like if you just had DJ Augustine, he could have just like had hollow numbers. We would have I think he he a little bit misread the extremes of of how much you had to look that bad. Yes. Like there was, there was, like there was ways to rotate the, the rosters that much, but have a little bit better of a veteran spine because it's the NBA. You could have overpaid guys; like it easily could have happened. And on short deals, I, I never would even say to sign th- three years or some. I would never do a Bayless thing. I would do. My point is, there could have been one and two year deals with the Augustines of the world, right? And they could have still lost fifty seven games. It just he didn't dress the pig up enough so that the at idiots didn't get loud enough. And I just think it stank too much and like. It got to the point – it's almost like he had a grow operation and didn't realize that, like, you know, like that the, the snow was melting on the roof. You know what I mean? Like, meaning what I mean is like – what I mean is like he didn't think about all the – you know what I'm saying? He didn't think about all of the, the logistics of how you'd get – how could you fly the plane this this low? You know what I'm trying to say? Like, he, he could have – I loved what he did. I'm saying – but even at the time, I was saying – I didn't care, but I was saying aesthetically he should do a little bit more. Like, he should have traded for, like, a Pat Beverly. You know what I'm saying? Like, traded a couple seconds to Houston that year when they were trying to get rid of him. He yeah. should have just done a little bit more because I don't think he realizes – he wanted the extreme guarantee, but I don't think he got as much. And who am I to tell him what he didn't get? But what I meant is the difference between, like, 15 wins and 21 wins wasn't really actually going to game your odds to the point where it would put you out of the discussion for any of this good stuff. So it's just like – but it could have put you out of position to have the job. Yep. That like, it got thing. too extreme. It got too extreme. It did, yeah. The biggest mistake, yeah, you hit on the head that the optics of it, he, t- he underestimated the problem that that would be. That if you just went out there and signed a veteran, like you said, expensive deal for one year, and to the public, it makes it seem like, okay, they're not fully, fully tanking, but he knows but that that guy's not in hand. You mean is that he didn't pretend that I know it? Like, like that's what Andrew said. Like, there's a be- like there's an unvarnished beauty to the fact that he was like, like no, right. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna come out and say what I'm doing. He's like, I'm going the, he's like, I'm going to the prom with a bong. You know, like he just did whatever he wanted. He made his own rules. He was like, I'm driving to whatever, like I'm, do, I'm not wearing a suit today. You know what I mean? Like he just lived, he just did what he wanted really in the best possible way. And I love, that's what we loved about it. Cause it was Cavalier, right? It yeah. was. And also like people don't talk about this enough. He was the best trader for three straight years. It wasn't single moments. He won the margin moves and the big moves. He was the best trader. I don't. We we never got to see him make the trade on the on the power market. That's what I thought would have been awesome. Like, who um, would he have gotten? Like, I kind of feel like Kyrie Irving might be a sixer. Meaning, just like he's a, he's a weirdo. Like he's a maestro. I think that like that that the Ainge trade was like I hated it because it was so hinkyish. I was like, damn it, right? <laughs> he hinky does some some of it. He got me on hinky. Yeah, even if Fultz was Tatum and Tatum was Fultz, he never would have traded the Kings pick to move up two spots. No, never. He, he, you know why that was such a poker move and that was such the move of, especially as the burners came out, the narrative became so clear. The, the motivation behind that was he wasn't able to install D'Antoni, so he couldn't put his fingerprint on the roster right away either. So he said, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and this is my splash all in. And over like probably overpriced Merlot, he convinced Josh Harris we're going all in and was like super excited. And really, if you think about it, the big, it's not revisionist to say when the reporting comes out that he didn't really do his due diligence or research on the guy anyway. He, he, he trusted consensus is the point. Yeah. He literally like he read magazines and don't get me wrong. I was, I was all about the guy, but, it, but that's also, I'm just a dude. It's not my job to make these super high leverage decisions that matter forever. Those, those six burner accounts that you can just check Twitter to find out if you did a good job either. Yeah. Well, and I read like every single word they said and every single word, like every comment board discus thing he ever, like that they ever wrote. Cause it was not just her for sure. <laughs> I just, <laughs> oh, I just, there, I mean, dude, there was like these crazy, there was like, it wasn't just one, there was two or three like long paragraphs about um, 
who was the one guy, the guy from the 80s for Dallas? It wasn't Adrian Dantley. It was one of those type of guys. It was like, maybe it was Adrian Dantley. It was somebody who just like scored his ass off like old school and he was like, he was a great player. I was like, bro, this is you. You were like 24 <laughs> and like, this is like, this is your window. This is when you were in the, in the clubhouse and he like gave you a high five. Right. And you guys like, you know, like you guys had a six pack at the hotel. My point he, is. He was, he was my boy. Exactly. That's my boy, Blue. So it's like, you know, long story short, we're actually, I actually feel like we're in a pretty good place though. Just because you have the high-end players. And that's really, like, I'd so much rather have to figure out the margins than figure out the anchors. Because, like, chasing is sucks in the NBA. Like, I, I was at the game last night, and, yeah, they, like, first of all, that team is going to give you problems because they can run eight NBA players at you. And ten, or ten, and we had three last night, or four NBA players. You know, so, right. like, impact players is what I mean. So, you know, my point is the, the Sixers will be very suspect until they're not. But I think once they get strong, they're going to be awesome. And even, like you said, last year, the buyout market, it, it annoyed me when Colangelo got credit for that because it was almost like you got credit for having two spots that could afford 28 minutes to people in March. Do you ever think about that? It's like, that's like, you got, that's crazy, though, if you think about it. It's, it's like, not a good plan to go into March with. Like, oh, 28 yeah. minutes. Let me get a buyout, guys. This is totally going to help. I mean, it's, it's like, good to help the roster, but like you shouldn't have two two spots of twenty eight minutes that you can just plug plug and play. That's my point. That's my point. Like you yeah. go to your sale, you go to your sales director. You're like, dude, sales are really up. He's, you're just like, yeah, I added a couple of routes. You're like, what do you mean? Yeah, he's like, I just wasn't, you know, selling enough shit. Like it's like that, that means you're bad. It, like it means yeah. it means you're bad. And and I, this year it's not the same point. There, like there's a reason we're this shallow is because they consolidated. And I the, I think the point is too just that like what Brand did is it like the the Butler move puts you in a different conversation of what might be able to happen even this year. Because I think like a West Matthews might get bought out. It might actually happen. You know, I don't think the trade market for these, you know what it is too? The sins of the 2016 guys, people aren't going to really be able to trade for them. You can't trade for Robin Lopez. He's right. making $14.3 million. There's some guys you just can't trade for because they're just like, no, we can't. And West Matthews is what I meant. He's making $18 million. You're like, uh, can't do that. You know, right. like, like you can't, we can't trade you half our team. And that's the other thing too. It's odd right now, isn't it guys? Because there's not, we don't have many moving parts. We really we're, so used, we're so used to having all these moving parts. It's like, you can trade maybe Korkmaz. You can trade, you know, Justin Patton. I'd actually rather hold on to him. Like, I don't know. I, I think, I think the buyout market, like you guys, it's going to be ugly until it's not, but one name that I'd love to get right now in an exemption deal, number one move right now, December 15th, would be um, David Nwaba uh, from, from, from Cleveland. Really good perimeter defender. Can't shoot. doesn't matter. He's like a bulldog. He's basically what Zaire was supposed to be. You're like, and he's a minimum guy, and he's under $2.8 million, and we have the exemption. So I would just give them a second and be like, give us your dude. That's definitely we need, body. We, need, we need like a human body, like actually. Like we need a, like a body. I want to hit one more thing on Kinky, but I think we first have to talk about how all of these Sixers first-round picks are injured, whether they're injured when we draft them or not. What's going on with Zaire is crazy that he may miss the whole season now because of this. <laughs> oh, he's going to miss the whole season, you'd think, right? I mean, yeah. From what I've heard, he's lost a ton of weight, too, with this infection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, like, you know, I haven't even seen pictures of him. I think he's just, like, putting a ton of weight back on right now would be the plan. It's just crazy. It's cryptic and weird. I mean, like, here's the craziest thing. The Joel, like, the Ben one is the most normal, right? Right. Joel's number two most normal, and that was two years and, like, an odyssey of Shirley Temple's weight gain. And, like, I don't think people remember. You guys do. But I don't think people, like, off on the outside know what the feeling was. That July, when we got that second reading, that second, I was like, that was like, there's like a, like an organ in my house playing like that music. <laughs> like, like it was like, what the hell? It was like, he's out again. And they explained it. And Hinky was like, we're sorry. We suck. And yeah. I was just, I was like, are you kidding me? We've Jill Okafor. Like everything just felt so bad going into that year. And like center city was the, was the, was the tagline. We had three centers. I was like, 2006 to 15 guys. Like, what are we right. doing? Like Steph Curry just won a championship. And we were like centers. <laughs> like, 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 so Big I guess my point is, I want them all. I guess my point is, is it was really ugly not that long ago. And it's really not that ugly now. And so, and like somehow we got out of this terrible GM based on the most embarrassing scandal in NBA history because <laughs> of the most craziest odyssey of all time through a rookie pick. Like it's, it's really, it's like a Greek tragedy type stuff, guys. Like it's really not normal. It's really very abnormal. Between the collars, wrong collars, the Twitter scandal, you can't come to Philadelphia unless you're going to sit out the first year. It's, it's guys, getting crazy. Guys, the, the wife of the GM was handling uh, like a minimum of five social media handles that were d relaying like basically like team espionage, right? That's the second craziest story in the Sixers this year. It might be the third because another guy almost died from a sesame allergy. Like that might be the third craziest story on the, on the team this year. That's incredible. That would have been the number one story of the decade for somebody. I remember listening to the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast and I'm rocking there. That's a normal color shirt. But 
listening to that live as the updates came through, like, okay, we've got some news. Okay, we've got more, and now we've got five accounts, and the ringer posted this thing, and now we're having... Um, I sent legs, like, half that stuff. I couldn't put my name on it, but I, I like, I, overnight that night before, I knew it was the wife. Yeah. The night it came out, I knew it was the wife, because I, I had just finished reading Seven Seconds or Less, which is the book about the sons. Yeah. And it's very in-depth about the Colangelos, because it's about, like, their whole empire, and it was about how they got D'Antoni was because Colangelo had been scouting so much in in Italy that he actually had a condo in Europe. He had a condo in Milan and he like, like liked the high fashion and cappuccinos and he was away from daddy. And that's where he met his wife. And it was like in the late eighties and D'Antoni's was a player and D'Antoni's wife was best friends with his wife. So they were road dogs. And my point was, is that this thing went, that, that account went so hard for, for D'Antoni. And it mentioned something in Italian about him and his team. And I was like, it posted something. And I was like, yo, something is up dog. Like, this is so weird. This is the weirdest shit in the world, being a Sixers fan. I love it. I, I love, too, how the Sixers fans basically uncovered even more, and they became the detectives over the next week or so, and they kept pulling out things, and then the Sixers would respond to stuff. Uh, but it really was the fans going beyond the original Ringer report. It was amazing. It was amazing. And, like, in some ways, the Ringer was cool for setting that, like setting it up for the public, but I also still have reservations thinking about how, like, <laughs> guys, you could have done this, too. <laughs> You, you could have actually done the complete story. And that's no shot at Dietrich or anything. It's, they also had to get it out. I get it. You know, like, it doesn't matter. It was a crazy odyssey. It seems like five years ago that happened. I don't know about you guys, but like, I don't even remember pre-Jimmy. Like, it's like, it's like a different world. <laughs> like, it, it's like a different, it's like a Jurassic line. It's like a demarcation point. Like, it's a different, like, society for me. I think it's helped with the whole fault situation, too. It's not, it's no longer, he has to be the third star. Um, no. It is an afterthought now. I completely agree. I completely agree. And I don't know about you guys, but my ideal, like, you can't always get your ideal. My ideal would be like to try to convince somebody to give us like their post hype guy, like their second draft. Like I would want to get like John Isaac from mm-hmm. Orlando. Like I like. I don't know if that's gonna happen, but that would be nice. Uh, I'm just giving you my like. Yeah, it's dream yeah. dream world here. Come on now. Dream dream world. It, it, uh, and, and you know what it is? It's crazy. It's like dream world. It's like I hope I can get that Orlando Magic uh, guy who's averaging six points this year. Right. <laughs> like, probably never turns in anything. For the guy who's got the magical shoulder injury and doesn't know how to shoot a free throw. It's like, yeah, uh, guys, I'll, I'll trade you your mystery loser for our mystery loser. Okay? <laughs> Don't worry. I'll throw in a 2022 second. All right? I'll get it done. Seriously. Like, we will we will tell everybody that it was our idea that you drafted Alfred Payton. <laughs> exactly. All right, cool. So one more one more thing on Hinky real quick, and then we'll sure. transition to a few broader NBA questions. And, Jim, we really do appreciate your time again. All good. Uh, last thing on Hinky. So favorite moment of the whole hinky hiring and his legacy. Uh, I guess we'll go around the room. I guess, Drew, you want to go first? Oh, man, maybe go first on this one. I Honestly, I love the entire process because to to me, hinky's an immortal god at this point. So he could come out and be like, yeah, I didn't do any of this. And I would have been like, no, 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 it's all you. It doesn't matter. Um, I think the thing I always remember most is his basically goodbye, and we can swear on this podcast, so fuck you letter. That was mine. Oh, gotcha. Now, so you should let me go first. This is like, hey, I did it my way. You guys didn't like it, but I still did it right. If you don't like it, eat it. No, it's true. Um, my favorite moment, like very specifically, was the Kings trade. Because when it first came out, the details were just like super simple and normal. And it just seemed like a shitty NBA trade. It was like the Sixers got like Jason. Who was the guy? What was his name? He, he, he's from the Philly area. Like they uh, got Thompson. The, yeah, they got Jason Thompson. They got they, they took they took they took the power forward from the Kings who like was just sitting on this terrible deal. They took his money to clear up the Rondo money. Right. For the Kings. And they take on Stauskas. And like the way it trickled out between Woj and Lowe that night was it was just this random summer night. It was like after it was like July. Right. It was like random as hell. It was like late into free agency. And it was just a robbery. And yeah, and like after it was all said and done, like by midnight that night, like all NBA nerds were like, Hinky just savaged these guys. <laughs> like, like, like it just felt so good because it made no sense. And it was one of those points where he constantly was making himself available. And it was almost like the way that he would sell these, he optimized opportunity costs, like almost like nobody had ever seen before. And that was really cool. Like what we ended up doing with that was destructive, but like that Kings pick in itself was the most valuable pick to be traded, you know, in the last like five years. Yeah, there was nobody on the other side of that trade saying that the Kings made a smart move. It really was like wanting money to go spend on, was it Wes Matthews that he spent on and Rondo? He he wanted to be able to have money to offer to Iguodala because Iguodala was in this weird impasse. So what he did was he he basically just drove up the price of Iggy because that's when Iggy got the 60 million. Iggy was coming off the the, the MVP of of um, of the finals. Evan Turner talked about this on on Bill Simmons' podcast, specifically about this, about about how Iggy worked the, the, the Kings and got $70 million offer from them. 
And they wanted to save that money. And then they were like, shit, we have to use this. So they, they gave it to Rondo. They gave Rondo like one year, 12. And it was disgusting. I think they gave, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Asik? No, no. Uh, he just he just played, uh, who cares? Who cares? They, they were terrible. The Kings. Yeah. And it was an amazing thing. And also just like the swaps and everything. It just like. That one night created so much kind of like process. It was so processy. It was pure process. And the next day, I don't know about you guys, but I was on YouTube watching like 17-year-old Stauskas hit hit like threes in his like, he had this one, I don't know if you saw that one. He had the one video when he was just even a Michigan recruit and he was like swishing. I was like, this guy's got it. He was oh, like, I was convinced. I thought he was good. I'm like, he's JJ. He's not. Yeah. No, no. I did think he was like like a pretty good value player, but the more you looked into it, like even though the Kings are kind of the Kings, there still was a reason he was a throw-in, so. But, but good for him. I'm glad he's doing what, well. like, I'm glad. He's, and that's one thing, too, we're not doing anymore. Like, we're not churning. We're not using the two ways aggressively enough, I think. And we're not churning the end of these roster spots enough. I, I don't understand why we're not kind of, like, poach other teams' G League guys that aren't protected. Like, why aren't we just bringing in, like, where's, like, a bouncy weirdo big guy that we just bring in to see if he can play? It, we're not in 10-day season yet, but I'm saying once, once we really get into 10-day season, I think we should be active. Yeah. It's not like the bench can get worse. That's my point. Like, audition, like, like you know, yeah. that, that's, how, that's how these 10-day things work. That's how, like... You end up with like a weirdo, you know, um, uh, Shelvin Mack type guy. Like those guys are on the fringes of the league and then every once in a while they stick back into the league. You know, like, I don't know. I just think and maybe we'll get there. I just think right now it's a, it's a static point and that's fine. But we're seeing right now why like we're getting exposed by backup guards. And like Dinwiddie's great, but we're getting exposed like all over the time. Like that Cavs game even, we were just getting absolutely cut up. And like that's the measure of, of depth. I think my favorite Hinky moment – Let's see. The SI piece that came out that mentioned that like two years ago, maybe three years ago, that mentioned that he tries to avoid decision fatigue by having the same outfit. So the same suit (laughs) in his closet over. Uh, Um, That's just an awesome embodiment of who he was, you know, definitely his ability just to be different and want to just eliminate that process, eliminate that thought process so he can get on this day sooner. Jumping back to, I guess, NBA as a whole. So we've talked about, you know, we've seen a huge rise in analytics in the NBA. We've seen the three-pointer get prioritized. We talked about big men and the Sixers having three big men when a lot of teams have no big men that, you know, play a lot of minutes. Yeah, where do you guys think, you know, we go from here? Is there any other avenue that teams that are more progressive can look at to say that's an advantage that's not being the market's not catching up to yet. And I can get ahead of that. Like the, ineffi- the great inefficiency. Like I, yeah. I, I, that's kind of been a discussion this year, basically like not that we're tired of the space and sp- space and pace era. I, I think a little bit of it is, is the switch is like properly nuance, nuancing the switch thing. Okay. Like, n- like, like I think the most repeatable part of last year's kind of um, theater of, of greatness, which would be like the, the Western Thomas finals, and not really the finals, because that really obviously was just a mismatch. But the really the reason the Cavs won the first one, too, was just incredible switch defense or incredible tough, like, you know, defense. And I do think that's kind of the next level. It's like, how do you counter the offensive era? And switching is and like fighting over screens. So it's like having like Ariza, I think, is overvalued. But I think he represents an archetype, mm-hmm. like, like, a, like a type of player that people want. And it's, it's, the, it's the Covington, honestly. Covington is now the perfect archetype of it. The guy who can shoot. 39% from three, regardless of what idiot fans think, that's what he shoots from three. And like, you know, it's like, like variance be damned. Like math doesn't work the way you want it to. Like um, one for eight does not mean you shoot one for eight every night. So right. like, my point being, he's this like, like that's the new archetype. And I think having a, a bunch of those Swiss army knives would be the next player inefficiency because like you can't create another staff. Like you can't create gravity. Like it's stupid yeah. to say that because uh, the skill set of pull up shooting is the craziest skill set. It's the, it's the least efficient shot you can take, basically, and it's the most dangerous shot because no one can guard it. And it's what makes Harden an exceptional offensive player, even when you don't think he is. You can watch a Harden game and be like, ugh. And then, like, the game score is, like, 35, which is, like, elite. And then, like, his true shooting is, like, 630, and you're like, uh, what? And it was like, <laughs> he had, and I know it's not a good example this year, but my point being is that, like, ugly can be pretty if you're making the right decisions. And I, that's the other thing, too. So, last, and this ties into it. It's learning shot, like, truly adhering to shot quality on both sides of the ball. That last year, the Rockets were the best team in making you take, they trusted that you taking the shots that weren't good would work out over the long run. And what happened is sometimes that burnt them and it burnt them in the small sample of the, of the playoffs because they would give up mid-rangers all day and then they met Kevin Durant and he was like, okay. You know, like, he's like, I can do that. But not everybody's Kevin Durant. So I think that's the idea is forcing teams into the worst shots possible and taking the best shots possible. That sounds simple, but the switch athletes are the way to get there because you need to be able to have a, and. Embiid and, and Embiid doesn't create a problem for you because 
you can feed him. To, like, he only has to switch down low. But my point, more importantly, is the Sixers desperately lack switch athletes. Yeah, I think that's a huge problem with them right now. Drew, do you have, see any inefficiencies out there that teams may start to look at exploring more? Well, I, I think Jimmy, the nail on the head is we, we've got so proficient on offense where we can we can bomb threes from pretty much inside half court at this point. And everybody can, right? Like, like the, your third big can shoot 38% from three. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like your Frank, your Frank Kaminsky's of the world can come in and hit six threes. Yeah, so everybody can shoot threes now. So obviously you're way behind the times if you got a big guy that just stands in the middle because it's not going to work. So now you really have to look at where's the next set of inefficiencies. And I think you hit the nail on the head there, Jimmy, where it's switch athletes. Do you have somebody that's athletic enough to be able to guard multiple people? Because I think that's what makes the, besides the ridiculous set of skill sets, like the Durants and the Jameses and, and those kind of guys, that they can switch off and guard anybody regardless of who they are. Yep. Now, granted, they are extreme freakish athletes, so it's not really a great example. But, as no, you but, know, the, but like P.J. Tucker can guard, like, can pretty much competently guard three to five outside of, like, a real five. Yeah. You know, like, like, I mean, he can, like, if Jaron Jackson's in there at five or, or Muscala, he can throw them around. I, it's, you know, it's just, those guys are super valuable. We don't, here, and this is, brings me to, like, I think the Sixers need to become the bad boys. I really do. No, I see, like, like the efficient bad boys, like, shoot threes, but we have to have, you have to play into your strengths. Like, Joel's a nasty bastard. He, he's not fun to play. Ben's like, kind of a nasty bastard. He's an Australian guy. Like, they're not that, like, he wants to elbow you. And, like, Jimmy's, what I'm trying to say by bad boys is, like the way that the mentality that the Rockets had last year in that finals, in that Western finals, felt like they were the bully. That's kind of what I meant. It's like, I don't mean like outlandish bad boys, but like attitude and like, like Patrick Beverly's and tough guys, who, tough shooters. Like, like uh, that's the word that they use in the Spurs and it's the word that Brett has used before, tough shooters. Danny Green, a Danny Green type player is what I mean. Like mm -hmm. that's what the Sixers desperately lack. And even Wes Matthews is that. Wes Matthews was in the same depth chart. Uh, Wes Matthews was in like Jimmy Butler's wedding, I think. Like they're like road dogs. Like they went to Marquette together. My point is, the Sixers desperately lack those guys, but we can get there. I really do think that. I think like you could add those guys, but Bad Boys is the way to go. Trust me. Like because think about it. That Heat team. Imagine a town. Imagine like that Heat team came in last year, and we were a much more talented team, and they made this play some of their ball. And I think I think it wasn't dumb ball though. It was intelligent physicality, and I think we could do that. Like I don't want to be that physical, but my point is, if you notice the way that when we win games, we like beat the shit out of people. Like we do. Joel beats the shit out of people and Ben beats the shit out of like it, what was that game a couple nights ago where Ben beat the shit out of them? Detroit. He said they couldn't handle me physically. When Ben wants to beat the shit out of you, we win games. I really mean that. I really I mean, so, mean that. I really think some of the most entertaining games we have this year against Detroit, because like because I think you're right. We, 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 we have so well. So Yeah. Between with the MB guards. <laughs> I, it's I, I find it more exciting when we talk more shit too. But yeah, that's true. It's just way it's more fun for me sitting on the couch because I'm. No, when it's loaded, when it's loaded, it's cool. And I think we could bring an attitude. What I'm trying to say is that like we're gonna get into these like tight series and like Boston and stuff. Boston. What I'm trying to say is Boston. Boston bullied us last year, guys. Did they beat the shit out of us? Did yeah, they kick us off? And, and let's be honest, the Zaire pick was a direct response to Marcus Smart. It really was. Like it, it was to no seriously. It was to say we need to be able to have somebody that we can unleash on you defensively like that's aggressive at the one two position because i know that we say he's like a power forward in college they continue they i'm i swear they think he's a one to three guy yeah you know like his job is to be one to three and my point is they theoretically i think wanted to have this theory where it was ben zaire and covington and whatever Fultz was going to be and they were like holy shit we're going to switch on everybody right yeah i think they had much bigger plans for Zaire. well that's what's missing there. right is, think about it guys like zaire and Fultz are missing from the portfolio and that's what was supposed to be the switchability of this team, right? The new, like that dynamic that's not here, the bounce. Where's, you know, the, it's like the Eagles this season. They didn't have bounce. You know, I'm just saying, look, like, no, but you can see it early in the season. Like, you can see when a team has juice on the field, like yep. speed. Like, I, I was the high school football director for ESPN for like years. Like, I used to like cover recruiting. And like, even at the lowest levels, guys, the highest levels, like, you could be at the top camp in the country, like, the, the, the juice does show up. You know what I mean? Like, it does. And you see it. And like, you didn't see it on the, on the field with the Eagles. And, you don't see it on the bench with the Sixers. Like we don't, that's my point. We don't have any of that like Jeremy Grant flavor. We don't have a guy who's going to fly out of nowhere and take the game over. So, but I think there's a real agenda to go get your George Lynch's, go get your dirty glue guys. That's what the Sixers need right now is dirty glue and, and shooters. But like, that's why Justin holiday to me is perfect. He's very much a holiday. And, and what I mean by that is that he's like a pretty tough, smart player. Do, do you know that he's like third in the league in minutes and has the fourth most made threes in the NBA? Justin holiday. I would have had no idea. Yeah, yeah if, you, if that's a trivia question, I'm like, God. <laughs> yeah, no, he—they're playing him into the ground. Like they're playing him like Thib style, like 37 minutes. But yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, he's a five million dollar player. He's 29 years old. They don't have his bird rights. I'm just saying that's like a two. 
he can't be traded till December 15th. That's the move that, like, if, if I ran the team, I'd be like, here's, I don't care. You can have the Brook, like a, a Knicks second round pick, whatever. Give him a couple of nice second round picks and call it a day. Yeah, I'd love to see the attitude almost of the when we had both Rashid, both Ben and Rasheed Wallace in Detroit. Oh, that's awesome. See, that's awesome. That's what I mean. That, that's like, what like, I'm looking Yeah, because I, I think it's what what I really have this I, I, but have the if you come into my paint, I'm gonna hack athletic your boys. I might break your arm. It happens. It's exactly. the game. No, I don't think people get that like this. That's my point. I'm like that's kind of my count. It's not like it's an inefficiency, but toughness is kind of an inefficiency right now in the NBA. We can like hard screens. Why do you think Memphis can still win? Memphis comes in because every once in a while it just doesn't feel good to get punched. I know during college basketball games, Fran Fraschilla always talks about junkyard dogs. Exactly. He's reference like Javon Carter last year. Guys like that that really can come in, get in your Dude, they suck like playing. Exactly. Have you ever played against – I was a point guard in, in high school and then like kind of a wing too, but I brought the ball up. And like the worst thing ever was the untalented like wrestler guy who, who smacked the floor and could just guard you the whole time. Because yep. it wasn't even that he was good. It's that he was always goddamn there. Yeah, you know, like, and that doesn't matter. Too up. And that's my point is that, like, guys, I'm telling you, there would be something about having a Patrick Beverly come off the bench. And I don't mean get rid of TJ. TJ can still run as this like weird combo guy. He knows his job. Right. And more importantly, be a third point guard. But like, a Patrick Beverly comes to town, guys, and right away, like, you have just that much more dickhead. It's in a good way. Yeah. Like, it's not fun to play against him. So like, I don't think Spencer Dinwiddie has as nice of a night. That's how the margins work in the NBA. We just talked about how superstars affect the game. We shouldn't like dismiss how the margins affect the game. And that is the difference with the Rockets. Not just that they're that Chris Paul might be older. It's not just the Ariza thing. It's that like they don't play defense the way they wanted to last year. They're not playing that same level of defense. It's gone. And they probably ran Tucker into the ground and shit like that, to be honest with you. I'd agree with that. That's what it is. If you get your switch, you get your junkyard dogs, you get a little bit more of that guy that like you're talking about, the the guy you know has less talent than you, but he's gonna outwork you and it, the minute you have gonna be, the ball, NBA, he's going to be on you all the way up the floor, all the way down the floor. You can't make a, you can't take a playoff because he's all over you. And don't you think we also just need like those NBA, like just like like the caliber of an NBA athlete? Like this isn't a disrespect to to to, to Korkmaz. Like he he's been playing fine lately, but there is also something to have more like guys to run with Ben and more guys to just run. Like and that's my point about the Holiday, the Nawaba types, the guys you're talking like just a little bit more juice would be nice. A little bit more guys who could just like wow that guy had 18 tonight out of nowhere. That's nice. Yeah, because we're not asking them to do it every every night. It's just exactly. hey, once a week you come off and ball out, have eighteen. We're pumped. Let's move on. High yeah, five. Hamstrings and foul trouble. You know what I'm saying? We we still need to try to win that game in Indiana that night. It's just it's just how that works. They're, you know, I'm with you. Cool. Let's end with three rapid fire questions. So, Boom. all right. First, when does the Fultz Sixers era end? If it does. Mm. Second, do the Sixers make a trade outside of the buyouts, whether it's Holiday or somebody like that? And then three. When's the first time, if ever, the Sixers make the NBA Finals with this crew? Start with Man. you, Drew. Oh, you're going to probably repeat them questions because I got caught up trying yeah. to get my answers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just just I was like, let's stop. Uh, we'll go, we'll go one more time. All right, so um, Fultz, when, if ever, does he leave Philly? Um, I like if ever. I like it. <laughs> if ever. He's going to sit on the What if he figures it out, guys? He's going to be Sunny Hill. He's going to be courtside till he's 80. Yeah. yeah, he just yeah he, he and Jack will have seats next to each other every time we're out, right? they hang out with each other. I I think and it's hard for me to put a time frame on it, but I think the Fultz era ends when we can get anything more than a bag of basketballs. I think I think Jimmy had a great point. If we could trade our mysteriously messed up player for your mysteriously messed up player, we'll happily go for it. I'd say it's probably one of those things that if we can offload them in the offseason, we will. I, I just don't. I think their relationships beyond being able to be repaired. I don't think he's got anything wrong with his shoulder, but I'm not a medical expert. I think he's just mentally totally fucked up, can't figure it out, needs to get out of here, and he's just done with Philadelphia. I think it can be all those things is the, is the thing. You know what I mean? Like, what I mean is, like, it's probably not binary, right? It's probably, like, chicken and the egg stuff, like, whatever happened to him injury-wise. Like, the lack of disclosure and trans- – like, the worst part about it is just the mismanagement, the lack of disclosure and transparency and professionalism from his camp. Just like it's so much bad faith that it's difficult to trust. Like this diagnosis is real because the team was there present for it. And like it's it, if you read the history of not to say that if you read it, I'm saying the plural you, if you read mm-hmm. like the, the history of the diagnosis, it's difficult to get to. But to answer your question, I think he's gone. Like you said, this, I think there is more than a bag of basketballs available. It's not going to be much more, but I think there is. I think there will be some if they want to get immediate utility this year, they can do that. I think they could get an Ariza, honestly. Like I, I don't think I don't see why Phoenix wouldn't do that like. Something like that. Like, they're not going to get a much better prospect than that, is the point. They might, and really, no one's trading you first-round picks. They're not going to get first-round picks for Trevor Reza. It'll be a fake one if it is. You know, it'll be a, a, a Dallenberg, you know, right? Like, it'll be 
Yep. It'll be a Brian Colangelo first. So, like, I think that's, I think that's, so that's my point. I, I, my guess would be that he's traded, like, by, like, March. Like, in March. Like, I, I don't think he ever dribbles. I, 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 I'd like to see him again on our floor, but I don't think he will. I, I kind of think it's too mutual at this point, where it's just like, all right, let's move on. And it's kind of like sunk cost type shit. You know, like, don't chase bad money. And like, like you said, you know, it, it's about getting them, it's about, you know, getting them the money, right? And so that they don't have to do anything dramatic to get off it later. If they can get a functional player now, I think the way they think, if they can get themselves, in theory, Trevor Ariza by giving up faults and nothing else, basically, I kind of think they might do that. Just because I don't love Ariza, for, per se. I don't love that deal because I'd like to get something a little bit... I, I, for example, I don't know about you guys. I don't have Josh Jackson. I know it sounds crazy, but like he at least could just run his... He could just become... For us, he wouldn't have to be the number four pick. You know what I'm saying? And for them, Fultz yeah. doesn't have to be the number one pick. For us, he could just be... Don't just hit. All you're going to do is shoot open threes. Never, ever shoot an off the dribble three in your life. Like, like, seriously, what I mean is train him to be the Covington. Train him to only shoot catch and shoot threes, which are much easier than functioning as a. He's, he's, I watch a lot of the Suns for whatever reason, and he does too much, like, he thinks he, he does too much, like, creation shit. If he just was told to be a catch and shoot guy and a run and dunk defender, I think you could get something out of him. Like, I just think there's more, that's more interesting to me than just saying, give me Trevor Ariza. Cause you're not winning a championship this year. So I'd much rather, put yourself in a position where you can get a player over the next two years who might be a, an extreme profit. Like I could be wrong. He could be nothing, but I, I, I just, but, but again, maybe the question for that is do, like, do you want to free that money up? Right. So that's the counter to that. Right. So yeah, I mean, he, doesn't, he doesn't make much, that much less than faults. My point. So like, it doesn't give us the, the, the money solution. Right. So, the relief's not there, but he is. Yeah, it's a philosophical thing at that point. Yeah. I love it, it, it gives you another athlete. We talked about earlier, they're, they're lacking athletes and we're in an era in the NBA where you have to have the athletes. And dogs, yeah. And, yeah. And, I, like, let them I play see a world. If you shoot the ball four times a game, sweet, man, I'm happy. Make I, I, can, I cool. can see a world where they tell him, like, bro, you're, Andrew, you're Andre Robinson. And just show him that Andre Robinson just got $50 million. Do you know what I mean? Be like, MKG got $48 million. It was, not that those are great deals, but my point is, if you can defend in this NBA, if you can defend the perimeter, you'll get money. I just think there's more there, and I think it's also... With how chaotic the Fultz thing has been, it's hard to read what Fultz is. I think it's really hard to tell who you are in Phoenix because of how chaotic it is there. It's been – that guy's had like three coaches, and he's his second year. Yeah. Yep. That's tough to believe. I would also say that Fultz is gone before the deadline. I don't think he puts on a Sixers uniform again. I really hope the best for him. And I – the Landry Fields case did kind of open my eyes a little bit. The troubles that he had with his grip and how he explained that he really couldn't shoot. I don't yeah. know if that's exactly the same thing as folds, but it does. I think it, it, it relates. Possibility. Yeah, it relates a bit. But I really think maybe in another place it could work out for him. I think the most important thing is getting that money off for 2019, 2020 mm-hmm. season, getting a future second or whatever you can get. The second question was, well, there was one that was, <laughs> when do the Sixers <laughs> right make the NBA finals? If, if they do with this group, I'm going to say it takes two years. I say I next summer. Next summer. Okay, so the 19-20 season? Yep. I do. I, I mean, it, 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 this is depending on some nice optimal type moves, but I think like Jimmy's bandwidth of being a superstar is we're right in the heart of it. He could still give us one of his best seasons. And if Ben makes any type of incremental leap and if he takes any sort of real, real leap, then I'm telling you people are in trouble. I don't think people get like how good Ben is. It's kind of silly. Like he's, he's when he, when he plays his best game, it, it really helps you win games. A hundred percent. The whole Ben has to learn how to shoot narrative is so overblown. He can do so many things without having a jump shot if he attacks the way he can. And I've been impressed well, in some of the games. His post game is improving. It's still not, as you mentioned, it's not where it needs to be. Well, he's got to start so down His game's got to start inside out more. It's kind of also like what I was saying before. Like there's too much of that dribble decision shit that's going on with him because you just know he's not going to pull a shot. So at that point, let's just invert the model and go down low. Right. The, other thing with, the other thing with Ben too is just free throw volume, free throw rate, right? Like I know it's, that's the bigger discussion. If he can fix his three throw, and even to the 73 to 75% range, like now you're weaponizing it and now it's a plus, you know, now you're winning on that possession yep. if he's converting at that rate. And it's just like, we're not going to be a very pleasant team to play is my point. We can rack up a lot of fouls on you really quick. That's not fun. It puts you in bad positions. And that's how you win games. Like you, there's no one stat that you win that wins you games. But think about this. We're the, we're the best defensive rebounding team in the league, right? And we're going to win. If we do, right now, we're not creating enough turnovers, right? We're not doing the Covington thing. But if we can get back to that, to being like that, that, that fast break, crazy kind of chaos team, I just think we can hit you with two different haymakers. We can hit you with, you can't stop Joel Embiid tonight. And then if you properly set it up, I hear, I guess my long story short was about the Ben thing. The inefficiency with Ben is that they haven't put him around always the proper lineups. He's a very sensitive player that way, right? He's like lactose intolerant. I mean, he's like, what I mean by that is he's, he's non-shooter intolerant. 
Like, you can't put him on the floor with other non-shooters. It falls apart because the NBA is too smart. Like, even shitty, like, baseball teams know how to use the shift now. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's – the league's too smart for you to play that anymore. And so that's why the full thing was so destructive. And that's why this roster now is destructive. We can't insulate Ben enough with more shooters. Like, it's, it's the Orlando Dwight Howard theory. Just, like, give him seven shooters, you know? And that's what we need to do. We need to put a kajillion good shooters around Ben and Joe, and we'll be great. I'm I'm 100% on board with that. I don't know who we got to talk to about making these, these deals happen. I think we've got this covered, how to fix the NBA. But to kind of answer your question, Dave, I think, I guess, as you as Jimmy was saying, the Jimmy Butler kind of window is now. It's kind of now. you got it a year now. or two. That's now. now. We get a minute. It's like yeah. you expect, like mathematically, you would expect these next two years, including, like, so this year and the next two years, so that we have three playoff runs. Those are kind of what you're expecting to be his highest influential playoff runs, right? So it, I, that is going to affect them, right? Like meaning their decision making. Yeah, it, it's it's a we're we're in a win now model. It's not hey hey 2021. I'm feeling great. You know, I still feel good about 2021. But that's the point. Yeah, that's well, that's the beauty of it is is because of Ben and Joel under control for so long. You do have that beautiful like that's what I think people have to understand too is that like. Jimmy's not going to be the only third guy they ever play with. So don't, you know, this isn't this isn't the only narrative. As long as Ben isn't ever run out of town by by the morons, like uh, especially with the financial leverage the Sixers will have, I just think as long as you keep those guys around, there's going to be multiple times. I'm not being um, casual about it. What I'm trying to say is that's the beauty of it. Is what I meant. Is that like how kind of episodic this could be, right? Yes, I, and I don't think this is a. I don't think to to use a baseball narrative that we're you know Florida Marlins we make one run and blow it up. We've got an opportunity here to really make something happen because we've got two young, honestly, superstars between Embiid and Simmons. They're just straight nasty and only going to get better, which is what makes this process so exciting. And now you've got Jimmy Butler who came in, contributes, can really make a huge, make a great you know third star for us. And now we can go and say, hey. You know, let's put some shooters with him. You know, we've got JJ still in the corner banging threes all day. God, I love and it, well, they, they need to replace him. I think that's probably one of the biggest next concerns or narratives for them is they've structured their offense so much around his DHO and screen game that, like, think about it. Shamet is like the backup JJ, right? Like, he's like me. What I mean by this is that who's the next JJ, I think, is going to be a big narrative mm-hmm. too for this team. Like, who's the next great volume shooter? The other thing, too, is we should have more than one great volume shooter. I know that sounds greedy, but like, even like in Wayne Ellington type, I mean, like, well, that's why Justin Holiday, you know, just like I said about Justin Holiday. The reason he's making so many threes is because he's taking so many threes. He's taking more threes than than uh, JJ. He's taking seven point eight threes per game. Do it, but and, and like I said, to, and really, ultimately, I just the question. I think next year is a good chance to make a run. Uh, we'll see, kind of see how the offseason shakeups with whether Kawhi sticks around, all those kind of some of the free agency stuff moves around. But I guess the iron's hot. I say we can hit it next year. We were close this past year. This year is going to be the East is pretty strong. So it is. You get on a lot of I think it. It's a good thing. I think it's a good thing that the East is strong. I mean, it's rather, good, like metal sharp is metal. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. I'd rather play good teams than not get to the finals and get our ass beat because you're like, oh, I haven't played anybody and now I'm going to get murdered. Right. So I, I think it's definitely times now. If I would say we at least make the Eastern Conference finals next year, if not the finals, definitely by 2020. I like it. I remember the other question. So the last question here <laughs> is. Great job, Dave. Yeah. Um, so the last question is. Do they make a trade before the deadline, or is it really just going to be supplementing with buyout guys? Jimmy, we'll go to you first. Yeah, they make a trade because there's just too many needs, and like I think like because they have the trade exemption, they almost like they'd be dumb not to because I think it expires. So like I think they're going to take on at least one of those minimum type guys. Those like yeah. you know Malik, like it wouldn't be Malik Beasley because Denver can't do that. But my point is like that type of guy, like an under three million guy who might be able to help you this year. I wouldn't be surprised if they took on even a bigger piece of money because there is an argument to be made for them to go into the offseason over the cap because then that allows them to use their full mid-level and do the things with non-guaranteed contracts that Houston has done before. And it, it wouldn't actually – like meaning what I mean by that is, is take on money to put you over the cap just for this year. Right. Like, like go in – I'm saying go into the summer with, 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 say, Vukovic's cap hold. I'm making that up. I'm saying a number that's 13. Or, or – you know, uh, Reza's cap hold. You understand what I'm saying? Like, that's why he's a, he's interesting is because he puts you over the cap and then you can operate over the cap. And when you operate over the cap, it sounds crazy, but when you're between the cap, the cap and, the, and the, the luxury tax threshold, you can get creative and do weird shit. And, like, that's where I think the Sixers – here's the point. Our only veteran minimum player this year really is is Amir Johnson. Like, where the hell are, are like, not ring chasers, but just the guys who want to be on good teams. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, 
And so that's what I'm saying is like, I think next year, if we can maximize, and I think Elton will get that more. I think Elton does get like how shallow this is. Like, mm-hmm. I just do. Like, I just think he gets how thin this is. And the, the players do. I mean, for God's sakes, our, our superstar last night was like, we can't guard guards. It was like, you know, it's like, I, I think it's the message is clear. Yeah, I agree with that. I think we're going to be really aggressive in the buyout market too. Um, I think Brand signaled the, I mean, he's definitely on the train to getting this in contention sooner than later. He's not waiting around with the Butler trade. So I think they'll be very aggressive and probably bring in maybe one trade and maybe two or three buyout guys and see who earns minutes there. I can't wait to overreact, to be honest with you. Oh, I know. (laughs) I remember when the Heat had their big three and they were looking at like Mike Bibby and that was a huge deal. And What's that mean? Out. Like, like the fringe deals are fun. Like, like Corey Joseph, Corey Joseph, for example, is very interesting to me. Like, like Windhorse mentioned him just recently being available because they want to get more time for Aaron Holiday, right? Like they, 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 I think they realize that like it makes sense to like, meaning he might even be better than Darren Collison right now, um, Holiday. And so, more importantly, Corey Joseph would be perfect for the Sixers. Like, yeah. perfect. I don't know why the Pacers would help the Sixers, but he'd be perfect. Yeah, agreed. Drew, do you see any trades coming up? Oh, they have to make a move. Um, if you, you can't sit with the status quo at this point, I think Elton showed that he's he's willing to pull the trigger and make some moves. So let's make some moves. Uh, we have the worst bench in the league. We've got minutes available, so we've got opportunities. And as you were saying, Jimmy, like operating between the the, the budget and over the cap and between the luxury tax threshold is the place to work. Most teams do. Most successful teams have to do that. So they it's do. not one of those like, hey, we got fifty million weight and we're good to go. That works on the on the rebuild part. We're not rebuilding. This is no, exactly we're, we're we're in a different we're, part of the phase. Exactly. We we, we we haven't been here before. Like this is new new ter- like for all the process shit we talk. <laughs> this is a new part. Like we knew that part of team building. You know what I mean? Like we yeah, felt invested and comfortable. Hey man, I need that fifty million. Forty nine is not going to cut it. We're now where it's hey, spend all the money you got. Let's spend some money. If it means winning a ring, we got to pay some luxury tax. I'll, we'll make some we'll GoFundMe page. We'll get it done. Like, let's go. It seems like Kyle Weed to the Clippers is almost like written in stone. It really does. I, I know it sounds crazy because he's in Toronto, but I just think the guy just doesn't give a shit. <laughs> I think he's going to be in, in – in, I really do. But, God damn, can you imagine? Like, it's, that's the ultimate dream. Can you imagine if that guy signed with the Sixers? Because that big four, would, I guarantee you, we'd be the, we would become, the, the, if not the favorites, like right there with the Warriors for the championship because it's just too much firepower. Yep, I agree. You can't tease me with a dream like that. Oh, no, I know. But I'm saying, like, uh, can you imagine? Can you imagine? Because you know what? The, what I mean by that is that, like, the rest of of the Twitter offseason would just be like crazy, like, like asshole tweets from Woj about like which crazy, like, like that young signed the vet minimum with us, like, like guys who should be signing the vet minimum, signing the vet minimum with us. You know what I mean? Like, right. they just want the opportunity. Of, hey, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's you know, here comes the. Then you start playing the can the Sixers win seventy four? Yeah, you're, 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 you're like Terrence <laughs> Ross took the mid level with the Sixers. You're like what? Right. <laughs> you're like, yeah. Oh, then you then you just become giddy. It's like you're sitting there. A girl can dream. A girl, a girl can dream. Oh God, don't tease me. So well, good. This is awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jimmy. This was great to talk Sixers. We appreciate no all the time you gave us. Yeah, um, it's, talk, it's talking Sixers. It's easy. Definitely. Let's hope uh, the rest of the season goes well. Maybe we'll catch up with you in the playoffs. Yeah, feel free to hit me up. I'm around, guys. And, and obviously, my new thing is enjoy the process. Like I like that. Trusting the process was awesome, but like at some point, it's like we got to stop. First of all, we got to stop treating this like NFL outcomes every night. Like, like this isn't like yeah, there are eighty two so, games. Each one like, isn't like we're, we're not a ha- we're not a half game behind the Cowboys. Like, it's like relax, okay? Like, <laughs> like, like, like we have like seventeen games with Atlanta or something left. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just joking, but like, it's gonna be okay. It's exciting to me though too. Like, I think we have to appreciate the process and enjoy the process because right now, like, yeah, things are messed up, but I think it's gonna be exciting when the next new guy comes in or we're like a mess. You know, it was fun. Like, don't get me wrong. Like. I never wanted uh, Marco to stay, but it was really fun to have like a new experience and a new, you know, like the buyout market and getting trades is fun because it brings a new like spice to, to the, the dish you've been eating. And this six, this team needs it more than ever, but I'm excited for that is my point. And like, I think we complain about it a lot, not like you or me, but like people just get so like kind of weird and nasty about it. It's like, guys, it's going to happen. Like, what do you right. mean? People playing like good a player. It's like, you actually think they're just going to see if this works until June? <laughs> Like, yeah. like, it's like, guys, like, relax, like, a little bit. It's like almost like the Phillies thing, too, right now, or just in general, baseball off-seasons or any off-seasons. It's like, everybody, shut up. Like, J.D. J. Martinez signed in February last year. It's like, it's going to be okay. Yeah. The unknown of the bio market is pretty interesting. It's awesome. And because it's also – just don't know. You know why, too? Because it is empowerment of the player. Like, because here's the – the buyout market's more robust than ever in my theory too because the player empowerment is so important that like when a team like Dallas wants to shift gears, 
it looks bad around the league if they're going to take a respected vet like Matthews and just bury him. So right. it's, a better, it's a better compliment to him to say, here, Wes, go find a playoff team and we'll make sure we, we send you into the market before the playoff roster cutoff. You know what I mean? Like, and my point in that is, so it's before March, whatever it is. My point is, is that like, there's more leverage on the player side and kind of the culture side for the player to like make sure the NBA guys treat them right. You understand what I'm saying? Like yeah. those vets have more incentive ever to be like, guys, this isn't working out. I've enjoyed it. Let me out. You know? Yeah. And more teams are willing to do it because more teams are willing to, to turn their portfolio over to their younger roster. So I just think it'll be interesting to see how that works for the Sixers in their favor. Because Wes Matthews, to me, I keep mentioning him. If you added like Justin Holiday for two seconds and Wes Matthews for free, whoo! Like, do you know that both of those guys shoot over 40% on, on catch and shoot threes the last three years in a row? It's like, that's like exactly what we need. Exactly, yeah. Couldn't agree more. Um, Jimmy, remind everyone where they can find your work on Twitter. Uh, at underscore Jimmy McCormick. I do, uh, I'm publishing at Fantasy NBA now, like six days a week for ESPN. It's, it's fun, like it's fantasy centric, but they give me a lot of freedom to just talk about the league too, you know, like. Yeah, you know. I found that it helps my NBA knowledge too. We started doing Dynasty um, Fantasy it NBA this year. Because well, you, know, you know depth charts now. And you exactly. know, like, you know rotations even too, and you like you'll notice like who's getting time or who's playing well before the public would, right? Yeah. Like you can say to yourself like, "Damn, Terrence Ross is killing it lately." Like nobody like generally would know that outside of like him hitting fifty footers against the Sixers. But right. my, you know, my point being, he's actually legitimately like averaging like seventeen points the last like six weeks. It's not like a small sample. Like it is a small sample. But my point is, he's like he's playing well, and you notice those things in fantasy. So I think it does inform you, and it's also just like it's more like fantasy baseball. It's a grind. It's nerdy. I enjoy it. Yeah, I love it too. Cool. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you guys in the next episode. Yeah, can't thank you enough, Jimmy. Appreciate you. Awesome, guys. Enjoy the process. Thank you.